Welcome to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fullick. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, resilience, crises, anything that can help you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. Today, I'd like to welcome back a guest who's been here uh, three times, not including webinars and guest spots on live broadcasts, but the head of resilience at Uber Technologies, Margaret Millett. Margaret, it's so good to have you back. Alex, it's a pleasure to be chatting with you. Uh, I'd only wish that we could be doing it live and, and at a table, have each having a cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah. One day, one day. Yes, yes. So, <laughs> we're always crossing paths at a conference somewhere. So Yes, that is true. <laughs> now, I know it, it's your third appearance, um, but it has been a while. So could you take a minute and tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and how you got into what you do? Sure. Thank you, Alex. Um, I've been doing business continuity. Uh, next year will be the start of my 30th year in the profession. And uh, I am also one of those people who fell into this profession by accident. Uh, mm-hmm. Got asked to help support an office move for a company that I work for in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, put together the continuity plan. I was doing something else. And then about six months later, there was an opening for this job thing called business continuity. I read the job description. I'm like, I can do that. And I applied and uh, never looked back. And I've been having uh, an amazing career um, doing it for mostly financial companies uh, that I were based in Massachusetts. And then I worked at eBay and MetLife. And now I'm at Uber. And uh, I've also just been really involved in the profession, whether it be working with DRI, DRJ, BCI, et cetera, really trying to help promote the profession for everybody around the globe to make sure that we are all singing from the same sheet of music on how to do business continuity management globally. Well, I'm glad to have you here. And you and I have actually done uh, things together. We uh, Yes, I love collaborating with you. <laughs> we did a keynote at the BCI conference last year in London, England. Um, this year, we're part of a panel at yes. the same conference. And fingers crossed, we might get to speak uh, next year at another conference together. That is true. Time will tell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so glad to have you here. So we've got a couple of topics we're going to talk about today, but the first one we're going to talk on is something a little different because it does still have impact on our industry. And I know as part of what you do, um, I hope I remember the title right, Vice Chair of the Business Continuity Women and Resilience Committee. You got it right. Okay. So I'd like to talk about DEI because it seems to be appearing everywhere now. And sometimes not in the, the best of lights, but we'll, we'll get to that. Could you tell us what DEI really is? Sure. So first off, I wanted to state for the audience, Alex, I am not an expert on DEI. So, um, you know, please don't quote me chapter and verse on what I'm saying. Some of this is just based on my own research or what I feel it should be to help support business continuity or an organization. Um To me, diversity, equity, and inclusion is making sure that we have diversity in our workforce and that we are making sure that everybody has the right seat at the table and the right tools in order to go do their job. And I live in the United States, and so um, I'm going to just touch upon the fact that at the end of June, you know, the United States Supreme Court did make a decision that could impact corporate DEI programs in the future. Um, Not sure where that's going to go. But I do think that, you know, we should stop and take a look at the fact that two years ago, chief diversity officers were some of the hottest hires for executives out, uh, not only in the United States, but I truly believe globally. And now I kind of feel like they've been pushed aside. Um, I know some large companies, and I'm not going to name their names, have really said that um, diversity, equity and inclusion executives may be losing their jobs. And that that could really impact the workforce in the years to come if they don't have DEI, because I do think that 
For example, when you're hiring new people, you should ensure that you have a diverse candidacy pool when you're looking at potential new hires and so that there is no bias on what who you're hiring. And I think the other thing, Alex, that you know people really need to take into uh, account is that old saying that great minds think alike. I don't think that saying is true anymore. I think that great minds don't think alike. You get so much more when you look at having people, even from different parts of your own country. You know, I, I live in the in the Northeast. If you get or the South, but I from the Northeast. You know, if you get people from the Midwest or the Southwest or or nor, or the North or uh, the West, excuse me, my coffee's still kicking in, Alex. Um, <laughs> you know, you're going to have a different lens on how they're seeing things. And so then when you take this globally, when you're working for a large organization, you know, somebody's going to look at something differently from Latin America versus APAC. So that's what I'm saying. It's very important to make sure that we have that diversity in our workforce. Well, that, that diversity does a, a couple of things. One, I, I think... It helps improve the operations uh, of an organization because it will provide perspectives and viewpoints that you wouldn't normally see if everybody was the same. Right. You know, at the same time, as an outsider, you know, I'm a, a partner or a potential client or a customer. Then I, if I'm uh, a, a, um, have a different religion or I look different or I think differently. Uh, I then could be attracted to you and your product because I know you're taking into account a different perspective and you're actually opening yourself up to a bigger market. Very true. And I think that's another thing that, you know, really needs to be looked at is when you do have diversity and you're talking about new product development and marketing efforts and the current events that are impacting on how workers and consumers are feeling, it does make you stop and say like, Gee, I never thought of that because I remember a classic when I took a marketing class in college, which was just yesterday, of course, Alex, um, they were talking about the Chevy Nova and the executives were just not understanding why that car was not doing well in Latin America. It was doing great elsewhere, but they didn't realize that Nova in Spanish means no go. And probably if they had had a diverse marketing team back in the 50s or the 60s, 70s, whenever the card came out, somebody would have said, hey, that's a great name for a car, but you better go change it uh, for something else in Latin America because you're not going to, nobody's going to buy a car that says no go. <laughs> <laughs> so, but funny story um, when we were kids, my mom used to have a Chevy Nova. <laughs> <laughs> so thankfully it did go yes yes <laughs> so why why do you think in your and you know i'm not going to hold you to this and if anyone is offended too bad um but in your opinion why do you think suddenly there's pushback on dei is it fear i i don't understand you know inclusion is is great it's wonderful you know, meeting different people, learning from different people there. I see no negative whatsoever with it. So what could possibly it be causing any kind of pushback? Again, I can't speak for the C-suite at organizations, yeah. but I think it's one, Alex, of um, that, you know, there is more time, money and resources to go support a program. Um, you've already been doing interviewing, et cetera, um, when you get the resumes in and, um you know, do you need to make sure that, you know, you understand what somebody's background is or do you just look at the resume, interview them and and go say, yes, I want to just go hire that person. Um, but without looking at, again, the diversity, I, I think that, again, there's extra steps when you have to go do that. And again, all organizations are still trying to be lean and mean and make a profit. And also, unfortunately, right now, the economy is not strong in many parts of the world. And so therefore, um, I know that I have friends that are in human resources and regardless of what kind of role you have, there's been a huge shaving of the human resources department, no matter what kind of role they are in. And so I think that's one of those of like, hey, do we really need this? Therefore, let's see if we can get by without having that, because I do think that a lot of chief diversity officers have lost their jobs. And again, it's one of those where it's not like you lose your job and you can go to another company. I think that's a profession that could be um one of those where it's going to be a challenge to say who's got a chief diversity officer title or works in the chief in the diversity office anywhere um, going forward. Um, 
So I, I don't know. I do think it's the right thing to do um, because, <clears throat> you know, a lot of companies are trying to be socially responsible um, and everything. And when they do uh, issue their their um, ESG reports, that is one thing that they will talk about. So it will be interesting to read those reports in the future, Alex, to see how they handle that if they do or do not have the diversity um seat at the C-suite. When I was talking about companies that were thinking of eliminating that role, these were some big name companies, at least based here in the United States. Yeah, you you bring up two interesting points uh, that I touched on. Uh, Reviewing uh, resumes, um, they're kind of related here. Uh, It's happened to me when I've submitted for a uh, a role or a contract somewhere that uh, artificial intelligence tends to pick out uh, specific words in a resume. Let's say uh, project management, as an example. Mm-hmm. I have project management skills, but I don't ever want to be an actual only project manager. But I still get notices about that. And with the other piece you mentioned, with HR not being there now, is there reliance on AI to kind of pick out all these different skills, which then doesn't take into account the diversity aspect of it. Yeah, I don't know how AI works in the human resources world. I just, I've read a few articles and I'm going to just say it, Alex, it's a little scary to me. Um, I don't think that it's fine-tuned and I still always say that, you know, the artificial intelligence will only be good as the person who programmed it. it. It's, I'm going to diverse for a moment. I was with a group of uh, women on Sunday who are professors at a local university here in, in North Carolina. And, you know, they were talking about, you know, um, artificial intelligence as it comes to writing papers. And they said that, you know, they can tell sometimes, you know, it's like all of a sudden you see this writing style of somebody at steady even, and then it goes like this. And they're, that's when they're then taking those types of papers that seem like it's a huge change in your writing style, running it through. And then, you know, they, they also said, um, how do they know sometimes when they put something in, like how to get the right thing? For example, if you just put in, say, you know, Mary Jones or Mark Miller, well, there's that's going to pop up with lots of people with that name. How do you know you need to go after the one that was the scientist or the poet? And if you pick the wrong one, well, of course, you 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 screwed the pooch, no pun intended, because you wrote the paper about the wrong person. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What about personal biases with DEI? Do you think that tends to come in? Uh, You know, people that really maybe don't understand DEI? or not involved with it, and without them knowing, biases can kick in? Because I know biases has come up quite a bit when we talk about business continuity and resilience and you know uh, expectations and things like that. So just wondering, do you, do you think biases sometimes play a part with this? Um, I'm going to say probably yes, um, meaning I can't speak for everyone, um, but I do, you know, I, I try and look at the world as, you know, we're all different. But I'm sure that when some people are looking at things, they look at it of like, I'm looking for the following and I need this. Therefore, I've got to check all the boxes. Therefore, I've got to say this. Yes, this is it. Because, you know, I look at frequently sometimes uh, when I'm interviewing people, I'm not necessarily looking for somebody that's got the business continuity certifications or the experience because I can train you on that. I'm looking at like what's your thought process, your your technical skills or your project management or your presentation skills, because, again, I can go get you certified through DRI, BCI, or ICOR or something like that. Um, and I can teach you based on, you know, here, let me tell you how to go do a risk assessment or a BIA or put together a plan and in time how to go run an exercise. So I do think that that's still always going to be a factor. Or sometimes even when you're just looking at resumes, um, you know, sometimes it's there are still traditional black colleges in the United States, Hispanic colleges. So therefore, you start to look at the the resume, see where somebody's from. Are you automatically assuming their ethnic background? There are also religious mm. schools. Um, so, you know, you start and you look at all that, but just because you might go to a religious school doesn't mean you're of that faith. You might've gotten a great scholarship there or, and therefore you decided to go there because it was the best way for you to economically afford to be able to go to school. So mm-hmm. you just don't know. Yeah, that's true. Well, I, I is there anything else you'd like to add or, or comment on when it comes to DEI? So, yeah, even, Alex, in just, even in just our industry, the resilience industry. Yeah, I, I want to just say this, like, I think that we need to look at DEI as like, there are 
I'm going to talk a little bit about, you know, the economics and social benefits of diversity are inextricably tied to the idea that every individual experience experiences the world through a different set of lenses and that research, again, I'm not quoting anybody. I'm just saying things I've read. Research has shown that diverse organizations are better able to empathize and understand and appreciate how their actions are going to affect their stakeholders and will interact within the company. And I think the other thing, Alex, is bringing an individual with a different life experience to the workplace can mean exposure to new skill sets, new ideas, both of which can give companies a very distinctive competitive advantage. And also, regardless of what profession you're in, whether you're in you know, manufacturing or customer service or um, healthcare, whatever, I just think that when you have different people weighing in on new products and things, that's going to just really help your workers and make sure that you're understanding how your consumers might interpret something that you're going to bring to the market. Yeah. And uh, your example earlier about the Chevy Nova. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it would seem so obvious, you know, that some, you know, a car that's named, you know, no go uh, <laughs> would, would, would catch someone's attention. But no, yeah. makes it all the way to market and, you know, can't figure out why it's not selling. I think that's kind yeah. of you know. Well, and one last thing, Alex, I know we're getting tight on time, but I do think that regardless of what's happening, that companies do need to stop and think about DEI when they're onboarding um, people, uh, new hires. Um, you know, DEI will have different meetings based on where you are in parts of your country or parts of the world. And that you can't make the assumption that everybody's ready for these conversations in the workplace. Um you know, they might not understand what it really means. And therefore, maybe employers still need to spend some time with new hires and tell them how DEI, what it is to that organization and how it can really help them understand how it matters to the organization and how it's going to be implemented and followed at that company. That's an interesting point. When we're talking about DEI, one size does not fit all. Correct. Like one model. It, it's, it's different. It's like resilience. You know, what does it mean to your organization? Yeah. So that's where I'm also just saying, you know, it's it's a world of uncertainty right now in the DEI space. So I do encourage, you know, corporate leaders to not just hit the delete button, but maybe hit the pause button and make sure that they're understanding what they want DEI to mean to them, their organization, get their way in on their leadership team, their board, um, and make sure that whatever they're doing is going to continue to align with particular laws in which they might have to abide to and aligns with what they want their organizational values to be and the benefits not only to their business, but to their employees. Because again, without having your employees backing you, they are your number one asset. If you want your business to be successful, you've got to make sure that you're meeting the needs of your employees because these are the types of things that matter to some employees. And if they feel that they're not going to be able to check that box, they might leave your organization. Yeah, that's true. I, I was just thinking the same thing that, you know, if you're not focusing on DEI, but, you know, looking outwards, you're trying to bring people in. Well, then you're ignoring the people that are already in right. that are diverse themselves and are going to see you, uh, you know, leadership or whoever as well, you're not very diverse. I'm not sure I'm comfortable staying here anymore. Right. And and that also gets down to, you know, that's could be even a red flag on your round of interviewing. If you're interviewing with people that are all looking the same and there's no diversity or you look at the uh, board uh, positions online. I mean, that's the, the beauty of the Internet is you can find out more about the company because it'll have the executive leadership team. It'll have the board of directors potentially. Mm -hmm. So if you start and look and see, it's like there's no diversity here. Do I even want to go work for this company? Yeah, I I thought we were going to end a few minutes ago, but you you've brought up some interesting <laughs> points here, which which is great. Which is why I love talking with you all the time because it, it always happens between us. Yeah. Uh, the 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 point you made that uh, you know one size does not fit all that tends to happen a lot with business continuity. It becomes a checkbox exercise or or resilience. You know, yeah, we yeah. got this tick box, tick box, tick box, and then a, a year or two later, you try to do a, a big scale exercise or you experience a real situation and nothing works, it all falls apart. The same thing I think can happen with DEI to your point. You know, it, you haven't defined what it really means to your organization, just yeah. as though you didn't define what business continuity or resilience means in your organization, which yeah. is why it falls apart at, yeah. at that point. And you really need to stop, and I, I like how you phrase it, you know, pause and take a look and define it for yourself. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, because I mean, the dust isn't settled. So therefore I think that you've got to figure out what it is. And like I said, just because certain things are changing, doesn't mean you need to jump on that bandwagon that you can stop mm. and say, this is what I want for my company, for my employees. Um, as long as you feel it's the right thing to do. And again, you're going to continue to still win and also do what's right so that it's not impacting your, your bottom line. Um, I know that, um, you know, a very large retail company here in the United States, um, had some, for sales um, due to a decision that they made um, during Pride Month mm -hmm. uh, here in the United States in June. And, you know, again, I wonder if the executive leadership team is now saying, was that the right thing to do or not? I don't know. I don't work at that company and time will tell what they do next year during Pride Month. Yeah. You know, uh, and then that I guess that's a perspective you also have to take into account at some point is what are other people thinking of how we're managing it? Right. You know, how, how we're right. looking at it. Because you're doing the right thing, but you know, let's face it, there's always going to be somebody who doesn't like what you're doing. Right. No matter what it is you're doing, there's right. always somebody who's not right. 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 You know. So any final thoughts, Margaret, on um, the DEI? Um, I guess like I said, Alex, I, I really do think um organizations do need to look at DEI. They've got to still have it. They need to solve business challenges, meaning giving every employee across the organization the tools that they're going to need to continue to create a more collaborative, creative, and operational strong workplace. And we need to continue to ensure that teams um, are, are outcome-driven and will be prepared to serve complex challenges for the organization and build success in the future. And I really think the only way that's going to happen is through a diverse um, workforce. Yeah. And let's face it, the world is changing. People are moving all over the place. Yeah. You, there's no way you could not escape diversity. It's in our neighborhoods. It's in every store you walk into. It's, you know, yeah. it, it is a part of life. It's not a thing no. that, you know, that it, it is happening, you know, a fad or something. No. It's a fact of life. You, know, no. you walk down the street, you meet people from literally all around the world. That's right. That's a diverse neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like before. This was this section, that was that section. It's like we're blended now. Yeah. You know, you know. I look at it just even my in my time of going to the grocery store. You know, the you know before it was just the pasta. Well, now you go on the we got an international aisle now in most grocery stores because yeah. we all eat different kinds of foods and it's part of our daily life now. Yeah, it, there's a, a large retailer. Um, the largest retailer, shall I say, I won't say their name, but if uh, at least the, the one here in uh, my city in Guelph, Ontario, there's an aisle dedicated to British food, German food, Indian food, Chinese food, you know, and yeah. a couple of others. And I love going down that aisle because there's so many different things that, wow, I never saw that before. That looks good. Let me try this. Yeah. Or you get on that aisle when it's holiday time for that country. It's like, oh, what new things like, that's, uh, you know, like Oktoberfest will be happening. So you'll see, yeah. you know, the strudels and the Wiener schnitzel and, uh, the, you know, the German cookies and things and the German beers. So it's like, yeah, we embrace yeah. it. And and my favorite, all the English chocolate that oh, all yeah. of a sudden appears <laughs> on the shelf. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Margaret, great chatting with you. Thank you so much. Uh, I hope this really uh, gives some food for thought for some people out there who are uh, maybe struggling with DEI or unsure of what it is, you know, and or how to manage it. So I really appreciate your comments. I knew with you being on the BCI Women and Resilience Committee, you would be able to provide us some uh, great insights, and and you did. So thank you so much. My pleasure, Alex. Talk to you soon. Great, and to everyone watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody. told me Voice America is on X. Follow us at Voice America TRN. How do you cultivate braver, more daring leaders? And how do you embed the value of courage in your culture? How do you take charge of your life and achieve your goals and bring about positive changes that propel you forward? On The Leader's Edge, join your hosts, Steve and Ernie, as they bring a mix of insights in personal and leadership growth that shapes your culture and the culture around you. 
Lean in and learn intentionally how to accelerate into your next best life. Tune into The Leader's Edge with Ernalita DeCumos and Steve Steele, Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Challenges in the workplace and within teams are only increasing as companies struggle to transition to a post-COVID-19 remote work situation. These unstable times have stretched companies and their leaders beyond their capacity, and they do not know how to maintain a balance of authority, empathy, compassion, and assertiveness toward their coworkers, much less continue their own career trajectory. Leading with Intention with Monique Dagneau offers support, encouragement, and tools to help corporate leaders address their personal shortcomings and emerge from these unprecedented times as well-rounded, self-assured leaders. Leading with Intention, Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Margaret Millett. Uh, Margaret, we had a great chat about DEI a few minutes ago. Now, this one we're going to change gears a little bit. And I'd like to talk to you about uh, addressing executive expectations, uh, not necessarily buy-in, let's say, because we, we could already have the buy-in, but then sometimes mm-hmm. we really mess it up because we're not uh, following through on how we report, what we should report on, addressing you know expectations. So could you give us some insights, you know, what kind of things are executives looking for that really make them you know, their eyebrows rise and just say, oh, wow, yeah. Oh, Alex, sometimes I wish I was a mind reader because sometimes knowing what executives want uh, is is always a challenge. But I, I think what I'll start off with is, you know, really taking a step back and saying, you know, that executive reporting um, is an analytical tool that's going to provide your organization executives with ex- essential data that they're going to need to know about how to make good strategic and tactical decisions from a holistic view based on your business continuity data. And they have to keep in mind that with data, the more data you have and the more um, mature your data is, they're able to make better informed decisions that could hopefully help your program and help manage and mitigate the risks that are taking place in your organization. I think the other thing that people need to just stop and think about is the what I'm going to call the executive dashboards, because I do think they are essential tools for executive reporting. Again, the data can come from various sources. They should be trying to be real time and they should be looking at the organizational key performance indicators or better known as KPIs that summarize what is it that you think that they need to know so they can see data quickly, and then they're able to helpfully answer some of those big questions based on the data that you're presenting to them. So what kind of data should we present to them? And what kind of data should we not present to them? Um, I think that's also a, a revolving door, Alex. Um, so for example, what what is it that you think that they want to know? Because again, if you were to ask an executive who's not familiar with business continuity, the one, they probably wouldn't know what to ask for you to go report. So think of it that way. Um, I think the other thing is, is I'm always about 
seeing what others do. Um, so find out maybe from their chief of staff, what is a dashboard that they like um, and see if you should leverage that format for your organization. But for now, I would say start looking at, hey, here are the top threats based on your risk assessment that you've been doing you know, geographically. Um, because again, that's gonna be any report that we see coming out about concerns for the sea level, climate change is out there, um, political concerns are. So no matter where you are, somehow this is probably going to touch you either today or tomorrow or in the future. So I would say start preparing that information um, and taking a look at that and presenting that to them. Looking at the top functions that you perform, um, because again, everybody wants to make sure that whatever the bread and butter is for your organization is going to continue to come through the door. And then also looking at what are the um, recovery time objectives for those, because they need to know if something happens that process A needs to be up in four hours, B, eight hours, C, 24, and et cetera. Um, and also, I think that people still want to know who's putting those plans together for these areas. Um, I think that really came to light in COVID that they wanted to know like, hey, Alex was the owner of that plan, Margaret put it together, and Mickey Mouse was the one that documented some of the the expert information because he does the job every day. I think it's important that they know that because they don't know necessarily Margaret Millett and Mickey Mouse, but they're going to know Alex Fuller because you're higher up on the food chain. So like, oh, that's Alex's division. Great. I know that because they might not know process A, B, and C, but they know the name. Therefore, they can feel confident that they've got a rock solid plan. And I think exercises, you know, one thing that I can always say in my career that the executives always ask me about is like, have we exercised the plan? And um, I've said this before, I look at a business continuity management program as a set of stairs. You can't exercise till you get to the top of the staircase, but yet that's the thing that they really focus in on because that's the one thing that they do know about business continuity management is exercise, exercise, exercise. So make sure you're telling them about your exercise program and the various types of exercises that you've done because you're not, one exercise is not the same. You might be doing an emergency notification exercise. You might be doing a plan walkthrough. You might be doing a tabletop. You might be doing a simulation. So let them know. And and also, you know, occasionally put out that invitation to invite them. They may say yes. So, you know, that's a good thing for your program. I was just thinking that, you know, with these exercises, sometimes uh, the focus gets so much on, did we exercise this this plan? Did we get these people doing it? And then the decision makers are never involved. And there's always this disconnect. Yeah. The thing actually does happen. And it, it again, to what I said in the previous a segment things fall apart in the program right yeah well one of the things that uh, uh you you mentioned uh you know under linking to kpis what about linking to the enterprise risk management because sometimes we do a risk assessment in our programs uh, resilience or business continuity or disaster recovery and we have one set of risks but on an executive level they're looking at a different set of lists yeah uh, risks no List of risks. Say <laughs> that ten times faster. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so some t- there's a often a disconnect between those two. So you know, uh, executives may look at what we're providing. You know, yeah, we have these risks of. Uh, I'll make it simple: fires and floods and things like that. Yeah. However, they're looking at a risk of geopolitical risk, and there's we we quite often, I think, don't link to that. You know, because yeah. they can have a, a, a an understanding of how we're contributing to that. What, what are your so, thoughts? I try when I go to new organizations to go get as much data about the risk framework. Sometimes they exist, sometimes they don't. But I do think it's important to say, like, you know, we have collaborated because sometimes even though we're looking at the fires and floods and the enterprise risk management teams looking at the geopolitical, et cetera. I do think it's important to even ask the, the local business people, what are your thoughts on it? Because again, the enterprise risk management team might be looking at it based on a large set of data that's readily available to everybody now in this day, day and age. Um, but, you know, I always remember I did a lot of work in um, South Korea at one point and everyone was always worried about North Korea. And the, the, the people I worked with were like, you know, we've lived with this our whole life. Um, we're fine. Like, you know, North Korea could be 
doing whatever they're going to do, but we're still going to get up and go to work today. Um, and, you know, if we get bombed today, well, we get bombed today. You know, like they, they just were immune to it. So I think some of it is understanding, you know, what's their concern uh, locally and how they're ready to mitigate those circumstances. And then also just saying that, you know, we did look at the larger picture. This is what we were able to gather locally and, and get things done. And I think the other thing that's really important, Alex, is working with your enterprise risk management to understand, you know, what are those concerns that are taking place? We've got a very topsy-turvy world right now with political elections like Guatemala is holding elections on Sunday. Don't know what's going to happen there. Um, and, you know, new leaders come in. What's that going to do? What new rules are happening that are going to impact things? Um, and then what world events? You know, you've got Women's World Cup taking place right now or has finished. I haven't followed it all. But, you know, you've got the Olympics next year. So how do these things that are like big known world events going to impact you? What special things do you need to be reporting on that? Um, but I do think it's important to say that you have collaborated in this day and age with your risk or your audit team or whomever else is looking at risk to make sure that you can say, hey, we're all trying to sing from that same sheet of music to help serve the business. And I, I think that's a, a good message because quite often when we uh, in resilience or business continuity put our uh, reports or status reports together, we have so much detail. Yeah. And you kind of alluded to, to that, that sometimes that's too much information for executives. Yeah. And we have to uh, package it in a way that's understandable to them. Yeah. And that ties into making sure that you have what I'm going to say, good executive reporting, because, again, you have to make sure that the report one isn't size font six when you give it to them because you're trying to get so much on that one or two page. But, you know, what are the characteristics of, of accessible executive reporting when you're at your organization? And to me, it's also taking a look at the strategy that the companies talked about, because, um I'm going to use just a term like every organization probably has a theme that somehow relates to have a delightful customer experience or something along those lines. So make sure that when you are talking about the work that you're doing, that, you know, even though it's business continuity planning, that you're trying to say, like, even for our internal stakeholders, we're trying to ensure that we're looking at those strategies long term to ensure that the day to day operations for the company are going to continue to be successful. And then also try and tie them into whatever the key performance indicators are for the company. This way you can say, I tie to this one or I tie to that one. Because again, you want to make sure that, again, if the budgets are a little tight, you want to be like, hey, we need that business continuity team because they they tie into our key corporate um, performance indicators. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the view that executives want to see. And I think that helps us show value, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, which is another big topic that uh, everyone in our industry talks about, you know, how do we show value? Right. If we're not linking to what executives expect, the KPIs, the the risk profile that the organization has, then, you know, it, it, we're go always going to struggle to show value. Yeah, right. And um, again, I think it's starting to understand what your audience is. I mean, some of this is where I'm going to say you might have to start off small. Um, and think about what's important to them. Think about what their goals are for what they're going to want out of a report. Understand their needs and concerns. Um, and then also just make sure that whoever's presenting that information, because it might not be you, it could be maybe, you know, somebody that's two levels up from you, that they feel comfortable talking about that data because mm. you can only put so much in the notes or in an appendix. So you still have to make sure that somebody is able to understand it, read it and deliver it. Yeah, that's true. That That's another risk I was thinking of from our side is we will have these reports and we may be addressing KPIs, but it's rarely us who's ever the one presenting it. Yeah. And the, the reports, uh, whether it be the metrics or the dashboard, ends up being, uh, for lack of a better way of saying it, watered down. And then we our message kind of gets lost, but sometimes it's being watered down because people don't understand it. Well, and I think sometimes, Alex, for the real estate sake of an executive briefing or board briefing, sometimes we get pushed to the appendix. <clears throat> then mm -hmm. we really don't get a voice. And therefore, it's very important to make sure that the picture or the words that you select are impactful because that is then where the picture has to be worth a thousand words to the reader because it could get interpreted incorrectly. Yeah. You, you mentioned uh, start small. 
Can you expand on that a little bit? Like, what, what do you mean that you start small? Let's say I'm just the BCM or resilience analyst. What does start small mean for me to to get up, you know, to a, to yeah. a higher level to executive? I love that question because, again, you know, I talked about <clears throat> it's a journey to build a program. Mm-hmm. So figure out what's the very first thing that you can report on. It might not be as dynamic as you want it to be, but so say, say you start off because you, you're starting your program. So literally just put together a chart that's going to say, Hey, risk assessments, BIAs, plans, and exercises. You could do it across your, your regions or your states, depending on where you're at, but just then make it a table. That's the, that's the baby step to say, Hey, I'm working with, I don't know, eight areas. This is what I was able to accomplish this year. Then maybe next year say, Hey, I added on more so that you can show year over year increase in your, the work that you're doing. So expand it to be something bigger. Maybe then you've evolved it a little bit more so that you could do a decent maybe pie chart in Excel. Because again, you don't want to put something together that looks like a lot of blanks here. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> um, and, and then figure out as you continue on your journey and you maybe get into a BCM tool or again, you're able to do things in your corporate reporting products, whatever they may be, figure out how to make it bigger and better. But, you know, change the look and feel also for your audience. Because one thing that I try and say is like, you know, don't use the same budget. Like I know the budget template is going to be the same hypothetically, but like the deck that you're going to say as to why I need the funding, don't use the same slides from last year because they'll be like, you really didn't put a lot of thought into this. So change it up. Give me a few other slides to tell me why you need X amount of dollars to go fund your program. But figure out as you continue to evolve to get to the right level as playing in the sandbox with all the other big kids, what's my view going to look like? Because you don't have a lot of data when you first start a program and you got to figure out still how to have a meaningful impact to say, I know that we're maybe a small team and we're evolving and growing, but look at what we did this year and look at what we did the second year. And maybe the third year is when you're going to get your beautiful reports that you can really say, wow, look at all the work that they're doing or wow, look at how many risk assessments BIA is like. And that's what I'm saying. Show the year over year, because I think that's a powerful when you start off saying, hey, I did six. Now we've done 12. We've done 23, et cetera. What about some of the things we continue to report on that maybe we shouldn't? The things that kind of turn off executives like, oh, here we go. You know, Alex and his doom and gloom again, you know, because <laughs> I've run into that. Where I, know, I, I hear what you're saying. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we had another like, you know, the poor people of Hawaii, like, oh, there's another forest fire that we've had to deal with. It might have impacted our business. Um, I, I as much as it's doom and gloom, I think that you got to turn that negative into a positive saying like, hey, because we had business continuity plans in this area, we were able to get the business back up and running relatively quickly. We were able to resume operations. We did not skip a beat on our service level agreements. And basically, you know, the public didn't know that we had a disruption to our office. Um, I think that's where you've got to take that negative and turn it into a positive. And then also get that feedback from them of like, you know, as I said, it, it's it's like you're, you're dating. It's like, you know, basically I'm going to say this, like you didn't put the tube of the, the, the cap on the toothpaste, Alex. I, I don't know if that's a pet peeve of yours. If you don't tell me, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's like some of it, it's like, you really wish the executives would say, I want to see A, B and C. And I know in the beginning, they can't tell you that, but after they start and see what data you have, then say, you know what, that's great. Can you put this information? I get it. I don't need to see how you explain it to me in detail anymore. That you can put in the appendix. But I really want to know more about what are the risks and the risk assessment and how you've tied that into your exercising so that I know in the future, we have taken the areas of our organization that really had fires and floods as a top concern, and we run them through a BC exercise. So I know that if they get hit, they're going to be more prepared. Tell me that. I'm not a mind reader. Yeah. So meeting expectations then is really a two-way street. It's not just me trying to funnel information up. I have to get the proper feedback to come down as well. Yeah. And and another thing that I always think of, Alex, is, you know, uh, for business continuity teams, um, COVID was hell in many ways, and we can all say that. (laughs) But I think like, you know, I think about it for some of the lines of business that we all, we as consumers experience, like, you know, I'm just going to say this, you know, retail, they had to pivot very quickly if you were in retail because you weren't doing, hey, I'm going to the store anymore. It was, 
How do I, um, uh, you know, increase my website? How do I do the, you know, the curbside pickup? Um, you know, how do you, uh, what's that new story that you had to go quickly develop a report to go tell? Because, you know, when COVID first hit, all stores were closed. You were either doing curbside pickup or you were doing online ordering. So how do you then change your story from brick and mortar to the curbside to the online, same thing with dining, you know, all of that. And that's now still here to stay. I mean, still here in the United States, you can still order, you know, you can go order a pair of sneakers from Dick's Sporting Good and, you know, go pick them up curbside. I can go yeah. order a meal and go pick it up curbside or get it delivered. Um, so I think that's where, how do you then look at what the newest trends is in your organization and figure out, hey, that's a new report. I need to go give my executives. And not because it's a crisis, it's now going to become your norm. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. The, the grocery store not far from my house uh, used to have two spots for pickup. Well, now there's a whole, <laughs> ro- now there's a whole row. Yeah. Know, for it, and, and it's natural. You know, yeah. it, it, there's always cars there waiting for their order to come out. Yeah. You know, and that never used to happen before. Right. Uh, so, so something else that uh, um, just uh, triggered a thought here when you're talking about different uh, groups and doing different things. How do you go about reporting uh, uh, business continuity or resilience progress, your program status, when you're really not just reporting on business continuity, you're kind of reporting on how well the rest of the organization is doing. And that's kind of got to be, I I would think, kind of a delicate situation. You don't want to point out that finance is doing terrible. (laughs) So how do you go Um, about kind of massaging that in a way and reporting in an effective way so they can say, hey, you know, uh, finance doesn't look good. Here's how we can go about addressing that. And and Alex, this is part of the journey because, you know, initially you're just going to say, hey, finance has a risk assessment, BAA and a plan, and they did an exercise. But as you mature and also the finance team understands what your cadence is of how often you're going to need to get things updated, reviewed and approved. And that, you know, you're giving them hypothetically, I'm just going to say two weeks to go do something or three weeks or whatever your, your time is that you feel is right for your stakeholders. You then got to tell them in a nice way, like, okay, we just before reported solid numbers, but now we're moving what I'm going to say to whatever, what I believe most organizations use is the red, yellow, green reporting system. Um, you know, and if you don't get things done, you're going to then move from, you know, being red to green. And and I think it's okay to tell people it's okay to be in one of these cycles because uh, you're going to have new mergers and acquisitions. People come and go. They might, you know, sunset something. Um, so you're not always going to be green. That's part of the life cycle of a BCM program. But I think that's when we can also just say, hey, footnote, like, hey, the finance corporation, or finance department's in a little bit of a, um, a holding pattern because Alex Fuller, the CFO, just left and we're waiting for the interim one to come in, get them up to speed, make sure that they're feeling comfortable with it, and then we'll get back on getting things done. But it it happens. It happens. And so therefore that's got to be taken into consideration, but you've got to be able to tell the story. Yeah. And you've yeah, got to make I, sure that the finance people are informed because there's nothing else then, than you know, this coming around and back down to the CFO. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was thinking is the networking component here. Yeah. You know, when you're reporting um, and not making fun of anyone in finance. So nobody sent yeah, me an email, yeah. uh, but you know, yeah. it, it was, you, know, you you can't everybody be green and you and not everyone's going to be on the same page there will be incidents that happen that will yeah. impact one group and not another uh, yeah. but it's a delicate balance because you don't want to make intentionally make someone look bad because i don't think anyone is really you know well and i think most continuity professionals bad. alex do a one-year horizon planning of like this is going to be your schedule this is when we're going to do your exercise but Let's face it, if the finance team is having a major upgrade to an application uh, next June, and that's when I was going to do so, I may or may not still be slotted for June because it may not make sense because of a new application coming on board, whatever. That's when you've got to do the give and take on what makes sense for the line of business, the new application, any regulatory issues, stuff like that. You may have to push things up. You may have to push them back. You may have to just say, go forward and we'll do this in April. And then when you get everything settled with your new app, we'll come back and visit it in the fall. You got to just yeah. figure that out. Yeah. And then reporting that effectively up to executives so they don't see, they may know about this upgrade that's happening. Oh, the upgrade's going fantastic. Right. But the other half is, oh my God, finance is red. 
you know, what, yeah. what's going on. It's like, yeah, we're going to be able to report at the end of every quarter. <laughs> you know, let, let, let's connect the two. This is why, you know, yeah. it, it, you know it's don't panic. Yeah. <laughs> this is why what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's the main thing is don't have any surprises uh, upstream or downstream when you do your reporting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, in my project management, program management uh, days, uh, we had that happen every so often. Uh, yeah. We learned really quick, you know, yeah. when, when something big gets identified, report it right away. Yeah. And then, you know, when it makes its official, I guess you could say debut on a report, <laughs> people people understand, okay, I know about that, you know, and there isn't a freak out. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to say your reporting has to be growing and, and be agile, just like your company, your department and your organization. So, um, you know, just because you created a great dashboard for the start of 2023 doesn't mean it's going to be the same for 2024. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, we've come to the end of the show, Margaret. Thank you so much for sharing all this. And, you know, I know you do a lot of reporting and you do a lot of traveling. So I really wanted to uh, pick your brain on, uh, you know, meeting executive expectations because I know you're doing that. So I I really appreciate you sharing a lot of this. This is uh, great stuff. And I hope it helps a lot of our uh, industry professionals and our colleagues and friends uh, as they struggle sometimes with their reporting. Thank you, Alex. I hope this is insightful for everyone. And I look forward to seeing you uh, again in a live and in person or on a future preparing for the unexpected. Yeah, both. <laughs> It'll be both, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks again, Margaret. I really appreciate your time and expertise uh, with us today. And everyone watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.